We're going to jump right in. So open up your Bibles to Psalm 116. Psalm 116, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 14. The title is (laughs) The Goodness and Severity of God. Psalm 116, 1 through 14. I'm going to read and pray, and then we'll we'll jump into it. I I, I do feel the gravity of this topic, and I am very aware of my need, so I'm eager to see how the Lord meets me and meets us in my need. Psalm 116 is God's holy and authoritative word. I love the Lord. Because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low... He saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed. Even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Holy Spirit, would you fill us now as we prepare to interact with your word as you speak to us would you help me to preach with clarity and truth and joy and passion and wisdom and liberty so that we leave this evening appropriately in awe of who you are we ask all this in jesus name amen the goodness and severity of god If we truly desire to know God, we cannot simply be content knowing the parts of him that make us happy, right? Like the love of God, I'm all in for that. The generosity of God, I'm all in for that. The justice of God, I'm mostly in. The severity of God, let's leave that for the bookish people. But it's true in any kind of relationship, right? Your roommates or your wife or your husband. (laughs) To truly know someone, you can't just know the parts that are most comfortable, right? That's on the fly. Lord, help me. So with Bethany, (laughs) I need to know, I need to know what pleases her. I need to know what makes her happy. 
And I know that she hates it when I do what I call wiggle miser, which is essentially a fire marshal bill impression. Uh, it is a bit from, what was that, uh, in living color? So go ahead, look it up if you want. It's very disturbing and it's great. Uh, should I show it? I shouldn't show it. <laughs> okay. See, see, I have to know the parts that make her uncomfortable. So we're going to move on from that before I get myself in trouble. All that to simply say, which I should have just stuck. <laughs> I should have just stuck to my notes. We cannot simply just know the parts of God that make us happy or that we're comfortable with. Our God is good. He is perfectly holy and unchanging in his ways. And because of this holiness, our God cannot tolerate sin. He has wrath that must be poured out on sinners. The Lord is severe in his dealings with sin. I don't want us to dwell on God's goodness alone, nor his severity alone, but to contemplate both of these ideas together, because both are his attributes. Both are attributes and aspects of his perfect and revealed character to us. Uh, J.I. Packer states that both his goodness, his kindness, and his severity both fall in within the economy of grace of our God. Our love for the Lord can be hindered by an inaccurate view of who he is. And I think oftentimes our problem is that we can presume upon his goodness and ultimately forget the reality of his hatred for sin. Meaning we're lax in our pursuit of holiness. We make excuses for our sin. We are so grace, 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 grace people that we forget what that grace costs the father, which is the death of his son. Nahum, chapter 1. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the heat of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire, and the rocks are broken into pieces by him. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. But with an overflowing flood, he will make a complete end of the adversaries and will pursue his enemies into darkness. When we contemplate God's goodness and severity, we usually emphasize one aspect to the detriment of the other. And what ends up happening is we end up with either white-knuckling a pursuit of holiness to appease God's wrath completely apart from Jesus' blood, or we end up living however we please, completely ignorant of the fact that though you deserve death, God is constantly giving you grace and mercy. In our text, the psalmist, meant, it's funny, when you go back, they almost attributed like every psalm to David. And so there's some discrepancy there, but I do think it's David because he's talking about war and stuff. Anyway, so I might actually refer to him as David. Just a disclaimer. In our text, the psalmist has just come out of a difficult time of suffering, war, people betraying him, people hating him. And yet in the midst of the hardship, he sees God's hand sustaining and carrying him through. Now, not only after it's done, but in the middle of it, he is still turning and going to the Lord. He's acknowledging the hardship. But the hardship has not turned his heart cold towards God. But rather, it has invigorated him to a greater devotion to the Lord. Because in the middle of it all, he sees the goodness of God. Death was coming, he was delivered. Tears were coming, his feet were stumbling, but God had preserved him. The psalmist's experience has led him into a deeper, richer, more intensely devoted life to God. And it is all done layered throughout this entire, the entirety of the psalm, is gratitude. 
And so I want us to know the severity of God towards sin so that we appreciate God's goodness towards sinners. My hope for us tonight is that we would hold these attributes not in tension with one another, but hold them together as attributes that help us see and know who our God is. That we would celebrate his severity because we don't want a wishy-washy pushover God who has no dealings in the realm of justice. We want a God who is just. We want a God who unleashes his holy wrath on sin. We want a God who deals rightly with wickedness. And that he's good and kind and gracious. And so in all circumstances, we worship him with joy. Here's my main point tonight is this, that God's generosity, expressing kindness, right? God's generosity towards us leads us to wondrous gratitude and joyful service. We'll see this uh, throughout the text in David's unwavering pursuit of God in all circumstances. And then we're going to learn how to hold these attributes together as we walk through the text. So let's get started with heading number one. For those taking notes, every uh, section is going to start with in all circumstances and then the main points after that. So, in all circumstances, go to God. Verses one through four. I can't even get to this first line. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pains of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Our God is a God who hears his people, and so we have to go to him. And more than have to, it's actually we get to go to him because he is good and merciful and gracious. So it is a joy and a privilege that this ultimate and all-powerful God is someone who we can go to in the midst of our troubles. There is hope all of this text because the Lord's disposition is one of listening to his people. Okay, we have to like, you guys are very well taught, Right? Jared Mellinger is a beast with the word. And it ain't like Bill Patton's a slouch either, right? All the pastors who have been passing at this church have loved the word of God and taught you guys well. But you have to be careful. Each line has a line in it that ought to make us fall on our knees and never be able to speak again because of the goodness that is in there. The Lord of all creation, right? The one who is holding all things together by the word of his power. That God. Here's you when you cry to him. We've got, we got to stop glossing over wonderful truths in the scripture. God's goodness towards us is expressed in many ways. And one of those ways is the reality that every ounce of goodness we receive from him is simultaneously him withholding gallons of deserved wrath on us. So anytime we experience his goodness, we are also experiencing the blessing of wrath withheld from us. So we consistently call upon the Lord, whether experiencing these blessings or whether we are more aware of his severity, we go to God. In all circumstances, go to God. This means pursue the Lord in prayer. In the psalm, there is a constant calling out to the Lord in declaring his goodness and expressing gratitude and crying out for help. There is a waiting on the Lord here. You will not get deeper communion with God without pursuing him intentionally. 
And David is doing this in the midst of hardship. And so you have to ask yourself in the middle of your hardship. And I've been talking to a lot of people and a lot of you guys have scenarios of suffering going through your mind right now. In the midst of your suffering, where do you go? Do you go to God? Who is your refuge? What is your refuge? What is your comfort? Do you go to God? The death surrounding the psalmist should have ended him, but God answered his call. We have to understand the reality of our sinfulness. The reality that God is perfectly good, he is perfectly holy, and he is just. (laughs) Our very existence rightly elicits destruction from the holy God. We are against him in every way. He would be completely justified in wiping out all of humanity. Right? This, this is the reality, right? Because our knowledge of God has to come from God's word. Not simply what we feel like God should be like, lest we make him in our own image. It means there will be tensions in what we know about God that stretch our brain and hurt our head. He is gloriously magnificent. If we could wrap our minds around him in totality, he wouldn't be worth worshiping. The psalmist states that God delivered his soul from death. So we have to stop and think, apart from Christ, what do our souls deserve? Eternal damnation? Suffering in hell? This is God's justified severity to those who do not repent in light of God's kindness to him. The scriptures tell us that he gives us kindness. His kindness leads us to repentance. His kindness leads us to change. God would be completely justified to never hear our cries for mercy. Does that sentence scare you? Does that sentence sober you a little bit? God doesn't owe us anything. Where would we be without his mercy? And yet, we cry out for mercy, and the severity of God wanes. And he comes in full force with his goodness in order to care for us and to hear our every cry. So we go to this God in all circumstances, and he will deliver us. Let's jump into heading number two. In all circumstances, remember God. In all circumstances, remember God. This is verses 5 through 11. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest. For the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed. Even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. Here's the reality. God's unchanging character gives us rest in the midst of suffering. His unchanging character, who he is when we remember who he is and that he is faithful and that he doesn't change, gives us hope, assurance, rest, and confidence while we are suffering. This God is gracious. 
He is righteous. He is merciful. He has dealt bountifully with us. The same power that is at God's fingertips to create and sustain and rule with ultimate and perfectly good sovereignty is the same power that God uses to be abundantly generous towards us. The God who has all and owns all is the God who uses his resources to give us gifts, to give us himself, to protect us from tears, to deliver us from our stumbling, to save us from the wrath that we deserve. In other words, to save us from himself. God has delivered us before and he will do it again, again, not because he owes us something, but because he is so good and kind and generous. Listen to uh, J.I. Packer's definition of goodness. He says, goodness, this is so fun. Goodness in God as in man means something admirable, attractive, and praiseworthy. When the biblical writers call God good, they're thinking in general of all those moral qualities which prompt his people to call him perfect. And in particular, of the generosity which moves them to call him merciful and gracious and to speak of his love. We, we experience in God that he, quote, never comes short of the goodness to which he has laid claim. All his ways are perfect, end quote. All those things are true, and they're marvelous, and they give us joy. And yet, in the midst of it, we have to remember that his holiness is so fierce that us, in our tainted sin, cannot even see him and live. <laughs> when Isaiah saw the vision... Of the Lord in the temple. What did he do? He didn't cry out, oh man, this is really neat. (laughs) He literally fell to his knees and said, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips. Any grace we receive from God is extraordinary grace. Every delivery from death, every protection from tears and stumbling, every aspect of God listening to us has a duality of hope for us. Anytime we see a benefit or gracious act of goodness from God, it is simultaneously an instance where we are being spared from his severity. Again, Packer says this, behind every display of divine goodness stands a threat of severity and judgment if that goodness is scorned. We must take our sin and God's holiness seriously. Stop playing around. Stop playing around. We're not playing games here. We're dealing with eternal things. Lackadaisical faith makes no sense because the gospel is too good. The Bible is too real. Eternity is too forever. Stop playing games with God. Pursue holiness. See his holiness. Ecclesiastes 9.3 The hearts of the children of man are full of of evil and madness is in their hearts while they live. Dane Ortland, Mr. Gentle, gentle and lowly. What does he say about man? We are also ruined. We contract our entire lives around the throne of self. Fallen humans are factories of filth. A.W. Pink, our hearts must be duly impressed by God's detestation of sin. We are ever prone to regard sin lightly to gloss over its tediousness, to make excuses for it. But the more we study and ponder God's abhorrence of sin and his frightful vengeance upon it, the more likely we are to realize its heinousness. So we must take sin 
seriously. Give yourself over to a life of pursuing holiness. This means confessing your sins. This means having accountability in your friendships. And I do not mean the type of accountability where they're, where they just kind of turn into confession cycles, right? Where you get together, I confess this, you confess that, man, that was really bad. And then the next week, the same thing happens. And then it happens again and again and again. And there's no real change. No, 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 no. I am talking about getting together and holding each other accountable. It means confessing your sins and then repenting. Repentance means change. I know it's hard, but the same spirit that raised God from the dead lives inside of you. And he empowers you for a life of holiness. Stop fighting sins in the power of the flesh. It's spiritual warfare. We're using the wrong weapons. Verse 8, for you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. In light of what we deserve, his deliverance ought to completely baffle us. His care should completely shock us. We need to make sure that we're not presuming upon, the, upon God's goodness. When he describes himself in Deuteron- or Exodus, my bad, when he describes himself in Exodus, Right? He's the Lord, the Lord, gracious and merciful. We love that. It's so great. But at the end of that, what does it say? He will by no means clear the guilty. Romans 2, 4-5. Do you presume on the riches of his kindness? So wait, hold on. We got to take our time here, right? Because in, 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 in these scriptures, we're seeing a lot of things. We're seeing the reality and the facts of who God is, which are his goodness and his kindness and his grace and his mercy. But there's instructions on what to do with those attributes. So don't presume on these things that are there, but don't take advantage of them. Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's judgment will be revealed. Are we presuming on his kindness? Are we appropriately grateful and in awe of all his benefits towards us. If not, then we got to start, man. There's a lot of goodness and grace in the word of God. Remember, this is our authority. Even when I'm up here preaching, I'm not standing over the word of God saying things that make nice sentences, right? I'm not, I'm not here doing poetry. I stand under the authority of God's word. God reveals himself to us in this. This is where we get to know him. We get on our knees, we pray, we open his word, we know God. And as I'm talking, as I'm bringing up his severity, as I'm bringing up his judgment and his wrath, we cannot put the folly of our character onto the attributes of God. A lot of us, when we hear God's severity, we think of rash, impatient, rushed, responsive. No, 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 no. Remember, He's, he's perfectly holy. He's gracious. He's merciful. Right? What are the... Oh, I won't find out. I'll talk about it later. <laughs> he, he is really patient with us. What is the phrase? Lord, help me. What is it? Oh! He has to be provoked to anger. He doesn't have to be provoked to graciousness and kindness and goodness. See the Lord answer that prayer? Thank you, Lord. (laughs) 
He has to be provoked towards anger. Tia, come on, girl. Oh, it's right here. See, I had a plan. Nehemiah 9.17. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. But they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God ready to forgive. Gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and did not forsake them. He is abundant in goodness. And this is described oftentimes as his generosity. This is Packer again. He says, his generosity is a disposition to give to others in a way which is not limited by what the recipients deserve, but consistently goes beyond it. Generosity is the focal point of God's moral perfection. It is the quality which determines how all God's other excellences are to be displayed. As we remember God, his severity, the reality of our sin, what we deserve and what we're getting, we can believe upon him in the midst of suffering. Even in the severity and discipline of the Lord, it is all coded in his generosity and his goodness because all of his actions flow from his goodness because all his ways are perfect. Psalm 119, 71. May we be able to say this. It is good for me that I was afflicted. That I might learn your statutes. Do you value the law of the Lord in such a way that you can say in the midst of your suffering, oh, praise the Lord for this affliction. I am so much more dependent on God because of it. Praise him for the way he's afflicted me. There is never a scenario. This is true. There is never a scenario that is too dark, too hard, too devastating. That the Lord cannot hear you through it or is unwilling to carry you beyond it. The circumstances that we walk through that swallow us whole, that leave no way out, The Lord is not overcome, nor is he overwhelmed by what you see around you. Allow the severity of the suffering that he allows drive you to safety in your Savior. He preserves you. He keeps you. He will give your rest. So allow yourself to enter into verse 10 where you can believe while acknowledging your affliction. God is big enough and kind enough to handle both. I heard there was a pastor talking about, uh, you know, our anger towards God. Like sometimes we can be angry towards God. And he's like, that's okay. Like God is not intimidated by your anger. Like he's not afraid of you. He's faithful. So bring all of yourself to God. Lay it before him. Don't be embarrassed. Don't put on airs and try to pretend yourself that to be up into some kind of nice little Christian model that walks up and says, I know this is hard, Lord, but I feel really good and I'm going to trust you. You can say, God, this makes no sense. I've got nothing left and you're taking that too? Bring it all to him. Now you're going to get adjusted. But he's faithful. 
So we've got to appreciate the discipline of God. Matthew Henry talks about it like this. He says, this old dude's wrote so well. If he puts thorns in your bed, it is only to awaken you from the sleep of spiritual death and to make you rise up to seek his mercy. It is only to keep you from falling into complacency, to ensure that you continue in his goodness by letting your sense of need bring you back constantly in self-abasement and faith to seek his face. Let us all, <laughs> this is so good. Let us all speak, I only say that when it's a quote, by the way. <laughs> At least I hope so. <laughs> Let us all speak of God as we have found. And have we ever found him otherwise than just and good? No. Our God is merciful, merciful to us, and it is of his mercies that we are not consumed. God truly has perfectly catered your life to specifically have all your events lead you lead to your good and his glory. God's goodness towards you and the severity and suffering that he allows is all done through the main vehicle of his goodness. It is who he is. He is good. He is gracious. He is merciful. So yes, suffering is allowed, but only through a good and gracious God. Jobs, raises, clothing, joys, friendships, marriages, laughter, hardship, debt, loneliness, and sorrows are all allowed, but only through a good and gracious God. So we must remember God in all circumstances. Finally, point number three, heading three. In all circumstances, serve God. Go to God, remember God, serve God. Verses 12 through 14. A sentence. Another translation has repay instead of render. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all <clears throat> his people. This is wondrous gratitude to a wonderful God. This is the, <laughs> the reality of the awesome and incomprehensible nature of God's generosity. So we must appreciate God's gifts. Right now, in this moment, every second, God is withholding wrath from you. We sin again and again and again. Through our thoughts, our actions, our attitudes. And yet, God in this moment, right now, as I'm saying these words, is pouring out his gracious forgiveness and love and mercy and generosity towards you all. J.I. Packer says this, Since God controls all that happens in his world, every meal, every pleasure, every possession, every bit of sun, every night's sleep, every moment of health and safety, everything else that sustains and enriches life is a divine gift. What shall I repay to the Lord for all his benefits to me? And all these truths that we're talking about, about his goodness and his gracious and his generosity toward us, they actually become sweeter. Like, this isn't like a, I'm a worm, I suck, I can't do anything. No, 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 no. Listen, we really are sinful. And God really saved us. Like, do, do you get it? Like, are you guys tracking with me right now? Sin is real. We kind of suck. It's okay to say that. Why? Because God really saved us. 
and he keeps us. So it's not like he saves us and then we just, then, now, now, now let's do it. No, 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 no. You can't do anything. You don't even have the faith to trust in him. Like, faith is a gift that he gives to you to trust in him. So we didn't even get started on this whole thing without God. So he's going to keep us. Where am I? Sorry, that was supposed to be an inside talk. (laughs) Yes, here we go. Our sin is engulfed by the mercy from God. And this mercy brings us immovable and unshakable joy. As you get older in the Christian faith, you actually don't sin less. You actually become more aware of how often and regular you sin. But then you also get to see in greater ways how God is withholding wrath that you deserve. And your joy in your salvation abounds all the more. My sins, they are many, but his mercy is more. So take stock of your blessings and the different specific ways that God is dealing bountifully with you. Also, sidebar, push against the culture of complaining. We don't gather to galvanize around grumbling, all right? God's been too gracious to us for that. How do we push back against it? Push back against it by talking to your friends about the amazing things that God is doing or has done or how he has provided. You know who's really good at this? Sorry, this is in my notes. Kind of embarrassing. Cassie Justy. She out there sending group texts of all the things that God is doing. And it's such, it it bolsters my faith. I don't know who half the numbers on there. I probably got to start adding them because most of you guys are probably in this room. (laughs) But it's like every once in a while, it's like, and then it's be like, what you get to see is, okay, this prayer request came like months ago. And you know what she does on the other side? She tells you about how God has answered those prayers. And it's just like those little moments like, dang, he really is faithful. He, he really hears all my requests and all those requests out there. And then the, like, the group chat starts blowing up and people are like, yeah, go Jesus, yay God. And it's just like, dude, people are worshiping from their cell phone because we are sharing the faithful testimony of a God who is faithful. Gratitude results in extravagant devotion. You can't just like be grateful to God and then like stuff it up and just be quiet about it. Like, thankfulness happens, gratitude happens, and then it comes out in expression. And you can't help yourself but to talk about the goodness of the Lord and all that he's done for you. And I haven't even doggone gotten to the reality of the graciousness and the goodness in rescuing us from hell, right? I'm still on, like, material stuff. I'm still talking about clothes and breath and healthy lungs and those different kind of things. Like, all those things are blessings that are just raining down and coming down on us. Just blessings. Boom, 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 boom. They don't stop. God doesn't stop pouring out his blessings. It's crazy. Why is it crazy? Because we deserve his wrath. And yet we just keep getting more and more gifts. I was doing good on time. It's over, y'all. I'm sorry. Spurgeon. That was a mistake. So when the psalmist talks about raising his cup of salvation, right? It's like, oh, yeah, let's raise the cup of salvation. Bro, what is he talking about? The homie helps us, Charles Spurgeon, he says this. He means that he will utter blessings and thanksgivings and prayers and then drink of the cup which the Lord had filled with his saving grace. What a cup this is. Upon the table of infinite love stands the cup full of blessing. It is ours by faith to take in our hand, make it our own, and partake of it. And then, with joyful hearts, to laud and magnify the gracious one who has filled it for our sakes so that we may drink and be refreshed. That is the cup of salvation. 
And God wants us to respond by committing ourselves to active and joyous devotion to him in light of his kindness to us. In other words, we must allow his kindness to lead us to repentance. Devote yourself to celebrating your salvation. Train your eyes to see the grace that is all around you. Commit to holiness because of his goodness. Packer again describes the sum total of God's goodness like this. I probably should give the goodness definition back when we first started. He says, all the, this is so good. All the particular perfections that are mentioned here and all that go with them. God's truthfulness and trustworthiness. His unfailing justice and wisdom, his tenderness, forbearance and entire adequacy to all who penitently seek his help, his noble kindness in offering men the exalted destiny of fellowship with him in holiness and love. These things together make up God's goodness in the overall sense of the sum total of his revealed excellencies. Take time to be surprised and amazed at what the Lord has done for you and particularly the cup of salvation that was raised to the lips of the Son of God in the garden. Because the cup of salvation that he drank was actually a cup full of the wrath and the severity of the Father that should be ours to deal with. Yet Christ, in his kindness, has absorbed the wrath on our behalf so that we can sit here and marvel at all the benefits that God has given to us, that the Lord has preserved and protected us, that he has dealt with us in abundant generosity, that he has delivered our souls from death. Every moment you are given is a gift from our Father that we are called to steward well for his glory. All of our lives are significant because we bear the name of Christ. So what shall we repay to the Lord for all his benefits to us? Well, we wholly give our lives in joyful service to him. Calvary is the measure of the goodness of God. Recognizing his perfect kindness to us and that he has delivered our souls from his severity through the life of our savior. Let's pray. Lord, what a gift it is that we can read a passage like this, that you are so kind to reveal yourself to us through your holy word. And that what we find there is that you are a God who is gracious and merciful, who has dealt bountifully with us, who hears us when we cry out to you, whose care is unwavering, that you are patient and that you love us and that you've rescued us. And that rescue isn't leaving like tomorrow we are still saved by the same grace. It's unbelievable. Yet we believe it because you've shown it to us in your word. Raise our affections for you. Let not a word of your holy word be numb or dull to us. Let us stand and wonder because you are God who is absolutely incredible, majestic, and holy, and is for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.